Thanks for taking the time to listen to our latest content here on the Blood Red channel. Guy here with just a quick message. Do you want the very latest Liverpool FC news directly into your inbox? Well then sign up to our daily LFC newsletter, which will bring you the breaking news and big events from around Anfield. To subscribe, just go to bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash LFC newsletter. Or click the link in the description of this podcast and pop in your email address. It really is that simple. That link once more bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. Well, thanks for your time and on with the podcast. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Captain's comments, referee howlers, treble winners and who to support. This is the Blood Red podcast. I'm Guy Clark alongside me, Ian Doyle, Theo Squires and Joe Rimmer as we get set to talk about comments from Watford's Troy Deeney, Tottenham's Harry Kane, We'll talk about refereeing shockers through the years that have affected Liverpool, as well as looking to the 19th anniversary on Saturday of the UEFA Cup win over Alaves as Liverpool won that historic treble in 2001. And we'll close things off talking about the return of football this weekend, of course in Germany in the Bundesliga, and find out who everyone's going to be keeping a close eye on. Gentlemen, thanks a lot for uh, joining me. Doily, you've got yet another book behind you. You mentioned we're going to be talking about captain's comments uh, rather fitting you've got a book of Stephen Gerrard's behind you it is it's his, it's his second book I think uh, it's full of words that he probably didn't write but uh, aren't these books all like that yeah they certainly are Theo Squires you do know what you're doing do you yeah leave me alone I know what I'm doing carry on with it guy move on to Joe great stuff and Joe Rimmer great to have you with us on the, the Blood Red podcast it's, it's been a little while yeah I've done two since lockdown this is my second one so I'm quite quite excited to be here yeah, More excited than Doily looks. Yeah, Doily looks absolutely <laughs> thrilled to be with us, yeah. uh, as we say, live on YouTube as, as well as, of course, usual podcast platforms. So we'll get straight into the chat on the captains. And we've heard a lot from Premier League clubs over the last couple of weeks, neutral venues, whether they want to go ahead with Project Restart, this, that and the other. But Doily, we've had over the last sort of 24 hours or so, both Harry Kane and Troy Deeney speaking via social media or via television as Harry Kane did. And Harry Kane seems to have changed his tune a bit because he was talking when lockdown first started about the season should be null and void and everything. And now he's saying that Liverpool have actually earned and would deserve the title being given to them. Well, I think he's probably realised that the season's not going to get null and voided, so that's completely out the window. So he just has to go with what what he thinks now. I mean, a lot a lot of people have changed their minds over an awful lot of stuff over the the course of the last few uh, few months. So yeah, you know, Harry Kane. He, he's 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 not saying anything controversial. He's saying Liverpool deserve to win the title. I think everybody says that. I think whether or not he's got the nod from uh, from someone at Tottenham, as if to say, look, we could do we get in the Champions League. We don't want to avoid the season. Let's uh, let's crack on and see what we can do. Yeah, certainly interesting. And Theo, just wondered your take on it because it is quite a, a different change intact in from what the, the England captain's now coming out with. Well, yeah, definitely. But you can understand why he's had to change that when it's looking like football is going to return. Um, the players, though, they're always going to have differences of opinions on this because um, obviously I interviewed Nat Phillips last week, week two ago, and he's a young lad, lives on his own, and he's completely fine going back playing football but he said he completely understood Sergio Aguero's point of view when you've got a lot of these footballers have got their families at home, how are they really going to want to go and play a game and go home and risk potentially infecting their family or if they're in quarantine in hotels and they're not seeing their family for however long, 
when you just don't know what's going to go on here. So all these footballers, they're going to have their own different agendas aside from the way their clubs view it. Because obviously Tottenham season's not been the best for them. Watford wanting to stay up. It's all up in the air there. And when it's looking like football is going to resume, they're going to have to change their point of view just to fall into line a bit with it all. I suppose that is one with Troy Deeney, Joe, that you kind of have in the back of your mind that actually is his viewpoint on it all definitely that it's about the safety of the players or is it sort of in the back of the mind that, well, actually Watford are still in a bit of trouble in terms of saving themselves? Yeah, I mean, look, I don't, I don't want to make light of what, what he said because it is important. It's important everyone stays safe. But I think everything you've read about this so far is that Premier League football and it's going to be... For, for those guys, so safe compared to many other jobs and professions and people who, be, who will be going back to work when it comes to sort of mid to late June. You know, Premier League football will be so much safer because they will be t- getting tested constantly. Uh, and the money involved means that they can take better precautions. So it's no real surprise that Troy Deeney, Harry Kane, I think Mark Noble was another that reportedly spoke up at the, um, the, the Premier League meeting the other day. It's no surprise that those clubs are the clubs who... It, <laughs> Look, it would do them a favour, wouldn't it? If the season got cancelled and they all stay up, I'm pretty sure they'd be very happy. So, you know, I, I kind of think they've they've got to get with it. I think football's going to come back. People are going to be playing football, and and by the end of June, we could look in a completely different place. So, um, it's no real surprise what they're saying. And I'm pretty sure if you said to them, okay, then cancel it. You're worried about safety, but you're going down. I'm pretty sure their tune would they they'd change their tune pretty quickly. Um, if it was it was faced with the prospect of relegation. Yeah, I'm sure they certainly would. And Doyle, it seems to be somewhat of a, a bit of a changing timetable that we're working with for quite a while. It was that week commencing the 8th of June, the, the 12th of June, the Friday, perhaps when Premier League football could have restarted. A few reports suggesting that it could even be the 19th of June now, which obviously if that is the case, we've still another full five weeks before Premier League action would return. Yeah, I think a lot of these reports are just guessing. I think everyone's just making things up as they're going along. They don't know for sure. Uh, they'll only know nearer the time in terms of whether the training's gone okay, whether those, you know, the, the, the protocols that, and the separate stages to return to full training, whether they've all been adhered to, because I'm pretty sure if one team has about 10 people, uh, you know, test positive, which is unlikely, like, but if that happens, they'll be like, hang on a minute, we don't want to play. So still got a fair bit to go, but I think the fact that they're all talking about actually playing some games and... I mean, but Joe's right that it's, you know, less so um, Harry Kane, but it's interesting. Mark Noble, he, he previously said that Liverpool deserved to win the leagues and he, he said it would be something like a travesty if they didn't. So it's an interesting one, really, isn't it? Because there's a, there's a lot of self-interest, but I think what they need to do is they should really do a vote on whether there's going to be relegation or not. Because the minute that they say, yeah, we're going to have teams relegated, the teams in the bottom three at the moment will be like, well, we need to start playing some games then because we don't want to end the season now and be in the bottom three. So I think that would be an easy way to stop any kind of, you know, situation where there just keeps on, you know, it's interesting, isn't it, that we saw a story this week about teams, players have apparently been told that when they do a tackle, they're supposed to turn away. And you have the Norwich, you know, the Norwich, I can't remember if it's the chief executive or chairman, it's certainly one of Sporting those. Sporting director, said, isn't it? Sporting sure, director, well. sorry, yeah. And he, he said that... Um, he said that, you know, how can teams get relegated from the Premier League when they might not finish the league in the Championship and they're deciding who goes up there? He said, well, hang on a minute. It's got nothing to do with who comes up. You you just concentrate on staying up in in this division. It's it's if the Premier League gets played to a finish, then you're not good enough, then that's it. It's your fault you, you went down. So 
I do think we'll see a few more of these stories where, like, you know, players are told they can only run sideways seven times during the game or something stupid like that. And, you know, go, I, th- I think someone that goalkeepers can't shout or something like that. There's an awful lot of stuff that's just... It all just seems to be excuses and they're becoming increasingly desperate from people who don't want to continue the season, which is a bit weird, really, when you think about it. You know, if you're a football club or a football team, why would you not want to play football? Obviously, if it's safe to do so. And if the government and the, the scientists are saying that it's, as everyone's saying, it's as safe, as Joe said, to play football as than any almost any other profession in the country, why on earth wouldn't you? And, of course, the reason you wouldn't is because you're worried about what might happen further down the line, not to your health, but to your, props, your, fa- your financial health. Yeah. Can, can I just say... Can I just say, by the way, you know, you see players saying, "Oh, I think Danny Rose came out didn't he, and said, um, I don't care about the morale of the country." But it's it's not just about morale; it's about a multi-billion-pound business getting back up and running. It's not just the players that are employed by the Premier League; it's thousands of people that are employed by the Premier League, the clubs. You know, if they if they don't if they refuse to play football, then then people will lose their jobs. And and I think it's a very simplistic way of looking at it, looking at it to just say, "Oh, well." We're not playing for for the entertainment of of the nation. It's, of course, it's entertaining. Of course, we, we'll all we'll all sort of tune in. But it's not just about that. It's about people will eventually have to go back to work because because businesses need to stay afloat because people need to stay in work. And if players refuse to play, then people could lose their jobs in, in the thousands. So, you know, I think players just saying, "Oh, I don't want to play." Well, they're probably going to have to. Because people have to work. I think it's, I say, in Germany, it's from once that's back underway, if that goes smoothly, I think players are going to be more relaxed about returning. Because at the moment, it's easy to fear the worst. Think if you go out and play, you're going to get infected, you're going to get ill and pass it on to your family. With Germany being the first league to go underway, they can take it seriously, make a good show of it when everyone's watching. You are going to be more at ease. Like I know they're taking quarantine very seriously. I think there's one manager this weekend who broke it to his hotel to go and get some toothpaste. He's now not allowed to be anywhere near the match. Um, obviously, there's, I think, Dynamo Dresden, a few of their players um, tested positive. So they're now all in quarantine again for like two weeks. So their game's up in the air. But it's just, if it can go normally in one country. If you're a footballer and you're looking there going, how come they can play? You're going to be more relaxed and want to get back yourself. And what I was going to say is I saw the, the survey, there was a survey earlier this week that said that 75% of the country or whoever was polled said that, you know, they're not bothered whether football comes back, their, their morale wouldn't be affected. But And the people making a big deal of that, but surely it's the other way around. 25% of the entire country said that, yeah, they'd love it if football came back. Which, could you think of anything else that would return? I mean, apart from McDonald's and KFC, obviously. But that would get, you know, the whole country, you know, improve the spirits and get people, you know, thinking of, thinking towards the future rather than worrying about the presence. No, it is definitely something to, to think about. Derek's got in touch with us on, on YouTube, says as a Reds fan, obviously he wants the Premier League one, but these footballers are human too. It's starting to remind me of ancient Rome and gladiators. Let's hope nobody is put at risk. And I suppose with the verbal jousting that is going on, something is going to have to give, something's going to have to get sorted. And Dolly, you referred to it before in terms of the comments Stuart Webber said with Sky Sports earlier in the week that basically no Premier League side should be relegated to the Championship should the Championship not be completed itself. Well, League One and League Two are still in discussions with the EFL wanting to continue. It is all beginning to get quite messy, but you do sort of have to to think in the next week or two things do need to concrete plans do need to get put in place so these teams can return to training and actually build up some fitness ahead of whenever football might return 
Yeah, I think if Norwich don't want to get relegated to the Championship, you could just send them straight to League One. That would be a way of doing it, way of getting round it. You know, they're going to have to get over the fact that they, you know, they had a decent enough season for parts of it, but they're going to get relegated, and that's it. Um, but you're right, saying that people need to get their fingers out and start. It, 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 the stalling has to end, basically, and I think everyone's kind of coming round to that. And I know it sounds, as Joe said, you know, nobody wants people to go out if, if things are completely unsafe, but it, they're not. It's, this is a completely different situation now to what it was. A month ago, no one in the right mind would have said, let's play football. But things, admittedly, they're not improving at a rate that we want it to. But they are. And as we've mentioned, football is going to be a very, you know, a closed shop, as it will. We know fans have been, don't know whether the media will be letting. We still don't know that. Um, so I think most people, you know, they'll be happy just for that distraction. And the managers want training to start as soon as possible because I think they were also pushing for the start to be pushed back a week or so. simply because they want to have more time working with the players because... If they are starting and all of these big prizes are at stake, then they want to have the best chance possible to prepare their players for what will be a very intense run of games that will be completely different to you know, any other end to a season has ever been. Yeah, nine weeks. I think we are now into to lockdown, beginning to lose count. But it, it is it is quite a, a long period of time, obviously, without any football that the teams are going to have to uh, to get used to. But anyway, we'll, we'll move on from the current situation. And Joe, you've written a piece for the website today if you want to check it out head to the Liverpool Echo website and it is it is quite a fascinating read five times really where horrible refereeing decisions refereeing shockers have come back to bite Liverpool we'll spend some time talking through them all but I think the first one we we best kick off with is the one from the longest time ago in 1965 European Cup semi-final Liverpool playing Inter Milan 2-0 up from the first game the final was to be played in Inter Milan San Siro Stadium and things didn't go the Reds way. You best ask him to worry about that. I think he was 20, <laughs> 24, 25 at the yeah, time. Yeah, I was, I, was, I was only in my 30s when that happened, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, are actually, you are actually best right asking Dolly because Dolly wrote a, a longer, much longer piece about that game. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, it was 3-1 from the first leg so they were two goals ahead and there was no way goals in that there was no way goals in that time so... You know, if the aggregate scores have been level, no matter what score, then it would have, you know, it would have gone to extra time, and then they'd have played a replay. Then it would have tossed a coin in those days. So, you know, imagine that now, just deciding relegation from tossing a coin. Can you imagine what Norwich would be like. Oh, it'd be a nightmare. Anyway, um, yeah. So Liverpool went to the San Siro. They were greeted when they arrived the day before with with fans outside saying they were animals and the fans were like that and they were savages. And there's also the Italian press or certainly parts of it had whipped up this idea that Liverpool's players were on drugs. That's the only reason that they beat them in the first game. Um, <laughs> so, you imagine if that happened now? Anyway, um, so the game starts. Norwich would have lost their minds. <laughs> with the... Uh, after 10 minutes, Liverpool found themselves two down. The first goal, funny enough, I watched the clips for the first time properly in, 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 in preparing to write this, uh, the article. And the first one, it's a bit of an iffy free kick on the edge of the area, which happens. And then they score directly from it. And Liverpool's players are like, you'd given an indirect free kick. And you can't really tell whether he has or not the referee. But I would imagine at the time, given that Liverpool were totally vehement that that was the case, then, you know, that's a mistake. The second one is an iffy one. It's a goal that would never be allowed now. Uh, Tommy Lawrence, the keeper, he, you know, he makes a save, then he bounces the ball a few times. He goes to prefer to kick it, bounces it one time. He doesn't see the player coming from behind him. And the player nicks the ball off his feet, knocks him over in the process and taps it in. And, you know, in, in Europe, even back then, that's a foul on the keeper. But, you know, the referee said, no, it's a goal. 
Liverpool go on to lose 3-0. They have a bit of a dodgy goal themselves, disallowed for an offside, which nobody really knows why it was offside. And that was that. And I think it was Tommy Smith, the former Echo columnist, he, he tells a story about when they were going off the pitch, he went up to the referee and booted him. All right. And he said the referee, the referee physically kicked him. The referee just kept on walking. And he basically said that made my mind up that that game was something fishy about it because anybody else would have just turned around and said, what on earth are you doing? But he didn't want to have any tension drawn to him and just kept carrying on walking off. This was at a time when Inter Milan, it was later proven years later, they had the, the, the Inter Milan secretary was very close friends on the payroll was this uh, notorious uh, match fix or fix was the, you know, I can't remember his name at the moment, but there was three successive European Cup semi-finals they got into Two of them had iffy decisions. The one, the third one was the one where the referee came out and he basically admitted they, they tried to bribe me. I said no. And funny enough, they lost that game. So, um, yeah, something a bit iffy about that one. Yeah, funny how these things do work out indeed. But we'll talk to you about some of the, the more recent ones, of course. There is another one, the, the League Cup final in 78 that's on the list as well. But we'll just talk about some of the more recent ones and one that immediately stuck out to me when I thought about Liverpool refereeing shockers was the Club World Cup final back in 2005 a game that I remember sitting watching and thinking how have Liverpool not had at least one of these goals given yeah I did a piece on it last summer I think after Liverpool won the Champions League so I'll have to go from memory on that but writing it there was, it was more than three goals as well like there's this picture we've got of Harry Kill properly being scythed down wanting a penalty that wasn't given. Uh, I think there's a goal where the ball's gone out of play from a corner and that was iffy. There's one for offside. You can see Pongo was tearing his hair out, going, how has this um, not gone our way? Like, one disallowed goal is unlucky. If it's a bit iffy there, it was back then before we had VAR and all this, so you think, oh, fair enough. Sometimes things are borderline. Two, you raise your eyebrows. But three in one game, and one where it's against like Sao Paulo, you think that's a game you'd expect Liverpool to win in modern football. I do remember watching it thinking how Liverpool not been crowned world champions here just because they've got all this quality there, the European champions. They've got Steven Gerrard, all these quality players. And then some, I think, future Chelsea midfielder scores a goal. Um, and it's like, you've never heard of him again. Like People don't even realise he played for Chelsea. But yeah, when you go into this tournament uh, in Japan, there's so much there that was a bit controversial, didn't go well. It was a bit of a farce on and off the pitch. Like I think we've all heard the story, haven't we, of Didier Mann and Jamie Carragher running around the streets. And the way that three disallowed goals and the refereeing performance, it just all fit into a tournament that really did not go to plan for Liverpool. That seemed to hit a bit of a, bit of a nerve, that one, Theo. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was thinking that myself, yeah. <laughs> it's the only one we're talking about on, on this list. So I, I thought, I'd, yeah, just leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. so so, so joe what about then october 2009 up in sunderland going into waterman for some reason the liverpool fans take a beach ball with them to sunderland (laughs) yes it's not the place you take a beach ball to uh to be honest i I felt slightly bad putting this one on the list because uh mark jones it was probably didn't have the worst performance all around but in terms of decisions it was quite it's an infamous decision, um, and it was a decision that was just totally and utterly wrong, and, and everyone could see that it was totally and utterly wrong. And um, for some reason, he didn't seem to think so. So it's obviously one that has been re- replayed a million times over and, and one that I think we'll be talking about for years to come. But it's just um, it was just bizarre. He got he got demoted afterwards um, for missing it. And 
yeah, it, it, it's still one that you can't really explain. Weirdly, afterwards, Benitez, you would have thought would be raging. So sort of just came out afterwards and said, yeah, well, I'm not really sure. It, it, it might have been a goal. And on this occasion, it was. So in terms of afterwards, Liverpool kicking off, no, no one really even was that annoyed. But I think it still annoys Pepe Reina, who, who um, I think tweeted this year to say it still, still irritates him every time he sees it. But a very bizarre one. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Is Pepe Reina there, Doyle, not actually as much to blame as the referee? Because it surely he had time to run over to the ball and stamp it down and obviously explode it so it then didn't cause him an issue later on. It is a goalkeeper asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I wasn't there for that one. I, I remember I was at Everton at the time. I can't remember Everton were playing. And uh, it just came through. Yeah, some beach ball scored. And we thought it was like a joke, as in it was the name, some nickname of some uh, Sunderland player. And it's like, no, it actually was a beach ball. It's like, you what? It says, wait until you see it. So, yeah, it was a... Is it is it a goal or not? Should it be allowed? No, no. I don't think it can be allowed, can it? Because it's... But then uh, what happens if a packet of crisps comes on the pitch? Yeah, well, as soon as, soon as a foreign object comes on the pitch. Um, it sounds like a, a, a pack of horses were riding through the... Um, <laughs> the thing. Uh, yeah, as soon as a foreign object comes on the pitch, they're meant, to, they're meant to stop playing, get rid of it. It can't interfere with the game. So it was quite clearly against the rules. But I do think at the time that wasn't as obvious. I don't remember at the time everyone saying that it definitely shouldn't be a goal. And I think that's why the confusion after the game. But uh, I think... I think the referee should have set in on the rules and that's why he got demoted quite quickly afterwards. I think, I think in, t- in terms of Rayner, I think if it's just bobbled on literally just like a couple of seconds earlier, then there's not much he could have done about it. Imagine if he comes running out, clears it, and someone hits yeah. it in the bottom corner. Everyone says, what are you doing? <laughs> You're not going to stop the game for that. So, you know, it, it's a bit of a strange situation. He probably put his trust in the referee where he shouldn't have done. No, certainly not. And I think it was actually, was it a year later or so when Sunderland came to Anfield? There was that whole issue with taking a free kick, Michael Turner rolling it back to the goalkeeper, back heeling it, yeah. Torres ran on to. So. Dirk Cow and Fernando Torres just played on, didn't they, when yeah. he was um, kicking it back to the goalkeeper to take it. And it's like, well, Paul Strikers have done technically what's in the rules. And Sunderland only seemed to protest after it happened in like after the game when they realised, hang on, we could have had a proper issue with this one here. But yeah, um, you can look at the clip, you see the Liverpool, both players looking towards the ref going, we can play on here, can't we? We can play on. And they just go and roll it in. It's like almost embarrassing for Sunderland, but you always get occasional goals like this. Like, and we've all seen the little trick of, um, you know, when a player takes a corner or he, like, he runs over to take it, then decides I'm not going to take it, but sort of touches it briefly. And then they just play on. It happens with free kicks as well. So... It's always uh, nice to see something a bit different with these sorts of goals. Creativity. Liverpool can't really complain when you've got corner taken quickly. Granted, a little bit different. But yeah, we always like these sorts of niche uh, goals. Theo, he wasn't wasn't creative. He wasn't aiming for that beach ball, you know. (laughs) (laughs) The beach ball was. Knocking to one side here. It was genius. (laughs) <laughs> I suppose Darren Bent's the only man with the answer to that one. And final one on the list then to, to go through. Theo's already laid into the, the referee for the 2005 Cup World, uh, Club World Cup final. And Doily, of course, this year you were out there for Liverpool, watching Liverpool become world champions. And again in the final, albeit Liverpool won, there was some questionable officiating in that game. I'd completely forgotten about this. I'd completely forgotten. That, what was it about three months ago? Well, five months ago now. I just I have no idea what's going on anymore. But yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it was the last minute, wasn't it? With the Mane thing, was it Rafinha? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. See, 
Yeah, Rafinha went through, fouled him, penalty. We saw the replay and we were like, no, nah, it's outside, but it's still a red card. And, and then after about like two minutes, it's like, hang on, what's he done here? And they kind of just sat, they, they put the ball on a penalty spot and took a free kick or something stupid like that. So it was like, what's, what's going on? And the game ended, didn't it? Because it was, then it was extra time. But that wasn't the only thing. I mean, I don't think it's so much... I think Theo was kind of suggesting with the other Club World Cup that there was something a little bit amiss given his the, the strength of his rant. I just think with the, uh, this one, it was just the referee just it was too big for him the occasion, and he made a lot of mistakes. Wasn't just most of them were against Liverpool, but there were also some in Liverpool's favour that you just went. Well, what's that for? So I don't know. There was I think there was one where didn't uh, Oxlade Chamberlain jump up for a header, and he, he he kind of jumped into his own player, fell on the floor, and the referee gave a free kick to Liverpool. There was something stupid like that happened, basically. Um, no, it was the referee was completely out of his depth. And yeah, I think there was a running battle between Rafinha and Mane as well. I seem to remember Andy Robertson said something about, I'll go, I'll get him in the second half for you kind of thing. So, you know, it, well, in the end, Liverpool won, which is unusual because I think it's the only game on that list where they, they did actually win. So, you know, most of the time, these refereeing decisions are always in games where you lose. You'd have thought that, eh? Yeah. Who That's would, why people are unhappy. Yeah. yeah, who would have thought that, that they'd be the ones that everyone's unhappy with? But, Joe, it was to the, the, the 2019 Club World Cup final. As Doily says, it, it seemed as though it was more about, obviously, where it was staged, the fact that there was a referee from the region and that it was sort of promoting all of that when, in reality, he he wasn't used to officiating a game of, of that tempo. Yeah, to be fair to the lad, he, he was very, very young. He was only 32 years old, which we all know is a very young age. And, um, yeah, you're getting past your back then, aren't you? <laughs> and, um, yeah, he, he, I think he was just a bit overawed. I mean, that, that that penalty decision slash sort of weird drop ball that he, he gave to them, it, it wasn't so much that he gave the penalty, over, went and had a little look at the uh, the screen, overturned it. But yeah, then, then just dropped the ball in front of, I think, Rafinha, who should have been sent off. And they just played on. And, and I remember Liverpool and, and the, everyone on the touchline was, everyone was just a bit, what's going on? And he just, by that point, he just totally lost lost control of the game. He, he, it was a very, very bizarre refereeing performance. Uh, but but the idea was born out of um, Mark Plattenberg in his column for the Mail, uh, listing the five players that he couldn't stand refereeing. And Craig Bellamy was one of them, which is no surprise. And he said that his language was foul and stuff like that. But, but what I found was quite interesting is that the sort of things that, he said and did um, in response to, to, to these players and, and managers that I found quite bizarre for an official to admit. Um, in a separate interview, he, he talked about once adding extra time onto a, a Manchester United game just to annoy Alex Ferguson. Well, that is just blatantly cheap, isn't it? You know, like, but it game. Yeah, no, they were, it was the 6 1, the, um, the Manchester City. That's funny. That's funny. It is funny. I would actually think that's very much in the spirit of football. Because that's what we'd all do. That's what what we'd all do. Six one. (laughs) To make subs each is what? 30 seconds a sub, 30 seconds a goal. They never add on the full amount that they should do. So he probably could get away with that one. The reason I did it, he said, because it was the one game that Ferguson didn't want much added time. So he said, I just added on a bit more to annoy Okay. So speaking of that, have you been watching the World Cup rewinds that have been on every weekend? Yeah. They showed the the England-Germany game, didn't they, from 1990, the World Cup, which I'd forgotten. In fact, that practically every half didn't finish in time. They played it almost every half short. 
because they, I don't know what they were doing. They recommended this used to happen all the time as well. They just referees just end games like a minute early. And you saw there was one game where they were all going, "What are you doing? Stop finished yet?" So I don't know. Referees and timekeeping. Do, 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 do we, does it then get taken away from them? I don't know. I don't know. That's always something that people have said. I wouldn't, but. No, who knows? But uh, well, we'll move on from from referees. That was quite good. Hang and... on, guy. Oh, yeah. Guy, I've got another. If uh, you have got any uh, Liverpool games that you're not happy with refereeing decisions, I think it works quite well here. I mean, uh, any we... FA Cup final? Yeah, that? yeah. If we're going to go into the the <laughs> FA Cup final, and we're going to talk to Saturday marking the 19th anniversary of the UEFA Cup win. But yeah, part of that historic treble that Liverpool, of course, recorded in 2001. That's seamless, absolutely in, seamless. Included included <laughs> some absolutely wonderful goalkeeping by Stefan Oncho in the uh, the FA Cup final against Arsenal, of course. Yeah, Dan Kay and I did speak about that over the course of last weekend. But, Joe, it is sort of hard to believe that it's 19 years on Saturday since that, that win over Alaves in Dortmund. Yeah, uh, incredible. I, I always remember, you know, I've been to a few games last season, but I wasn't sort of regularly going. And I remember my dad going away to each one and uh, going off being really jealous. And, and um, he still... Loves that stadium. Talked talked um, talked about that game. Really, really loved that occasion. And yeah, it was um, it was just a hell of a season. Especially you know for, for me, it was the first time I really watched Liverpool lift trophies. They, they won a couple in my lifetime, but never to such such an extent that year. And it was just it was just a great summer. I remember all those games quite well. Um, I remember Stefan Oncho. The ball hit them. In- in the side there, you know, the cup final a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't remember. I don't remember his hand being involved at all. But yeah, the the game was crazy because I, I remember the winning goal. In I think almost the players didn't quite realise because it was when Golden Goal was um, was about the it was only around the season, wasn't it? Golden Goal and I think McAllister's free kick clicked off one of the heads of their players and went in. And there was like a split second where the players went, "We've won this," and and then they went off celebrating. And, and that was just a crazy game and. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a great time to be a Liverpool fan, and yeah, I mean that a great team, great squad, really good squad. Players like Marcus Babel, I think, really underrated. Had one hell of a season that season, and the, you know, um, just really loved it. No, I suppose as well, Doyle, there were three different, three very different finals, really. Obviously, Birmingham in the, the League Cup went to, to penalties in the end, the comeback against Arsenal in the FA Cup final, and Alaves really blowing that early lead that they had and then eventually getting over the line in golden goal. Yeah, I mean, the Alaves game wasn't really a proper game of football, was it? It was just a bit stupid. Uh, I mean, because, I mean, it was, it was, I mean, you look at the, the one that everyone remembers really through all that is beating Arsenal in the final. I mean, that's the one that, it's interesting. Remember at the time, the players, the certainly the English players or the British players in the squad, viewed the FA Cup win as the biggest one of those three. Whereas the European players and Julia, to a certain extent, viewed the UEFA Cup one as the best win. But you know, the great thing is that they were able to choose between the pair of them. And that's before we even mentioned the League Cup, which, well, it's often forgotten. Did have a great goal, didn't it? With Robbie Fowler scoring in the final, and it's the first one and people always talk about the importance of the first trophy you've seen that under Jurgen Klopp with winning the Champions League they won another two then a couple of months after that six months after that so but yeah going to the I know you don't want to talk about the Arsenal game so we'll dwell on it a little bit um, I think you know Liverpool are outplayed for 70-80 minutes but how many times have we seen the opposite with teams where they've absolutely battered somebody and then been done on the break or done on the counter attack and you know Arsenal certainly when I was growing up they were the, the masters of that so 
I know there's some Liverpool fans who remembered 1971 in the final then, so when Liverpool should have beaten Arsenal and Arsenal scored a, a very lucky goal to, I think it was the equaliser or I think it was the equaliser. It wasn't the Charlie George one, it was the other one. And um, it took them 30 years to, to wait to get a bit of revenge and they got it in the best manner possible, a game where there's no way Liverpool should have won. And it also... did. No, and I suppose that season as well, Theo, also started a nice little rundown in Cardiff for Liverpool. Obviously, the League Cup was the first, the final, was the first final outside of, obviously, England for the League Cup final, not being at Wembley and it being at the Millennium Stadium, and then repeated the trick against Arsenal, won another Worthington Cup in 2003, and, of course, the Gerrard FA Cup final this week that we've also celebrated the anniversary for. Yeah, Liverpool fans have got happy memories of going down to Cardiff. And you think there's some great goals in all these finals as well. I could forgotten how good Robbie Fowler's in the League Cup final was. It was a half volley, lobs the keeper. Um, obviously, Owen's second one's brilliant. I think Patrick Berg has made a joke this week saying the assist's even better than the goal. Um, we've all seen how great Steven Gerrard's uh, second equaliser was against West Ham. Uh, it's one against United. I think it might have taken a slight deflection, but that was a pretty good goal as well in 03. And it's just, whilst Liverpool... Under Julio, it didn't really finish the way fans would have wanted or what they hoped and expected after that initial success. He still did manage to get these trophies. And I think um, he tells a story, doesn't he, him and Phil Thompson, that when they sold Paul Lintz, Lintz had come out and said that there's only one way Julio's dragging them. And he made out and said, yeah, we dragged them down to um, Wembley, Cardiff twice to all these cup finals. And it was just like Joe said, it was an exciting time to be a Liverpool fan when you're our age because you hadn't really been used to seeing this success, I think I was only, what, eight at the time. So I didn't actually <laughs> see. <laughs> you were eight? You were yep. eight in 2001? Yeah, I was, um, for these finals I was. So I didn't actually see <laughs> extra time in the UEFA Cup final because it was a school yep. night. So my, parents, <laughs> my parents had sent me to bed. Um, I think it was poor leading at the time. I think Fowler had come on, it made it 4-3, and then they made me go to bed. So just assuming Liverpool go and go on and win it. Um, and then Dad's run in and said, "Oh, it's extra time," but they wouldn't let me go out and watch it. So they put in a video or something um, to record extra time for me. But if you remember long play and short play, they'd got the settings wrong. So I had—I can't remember what they'd done, but I had this thirty minutes of extra time where they'd missed like ten minutes of it with no volume. So I was just watching basically <laughs> a silent video. And you remember extra time? Alaves had two players sent off, didn't they? And it was mm. just a weird game, like people expecting penalties or just expecting Liverpool to win. And then it's quite late where they've just headed this uh, free kick into their own net. Uh, watching it all without volume was an interesting one as well. And it was a season, of course, Joe, must touch on it with you, that Emil Heskey, of course, played a vital, vital role for Liverpool. Not, not so much in the finals, but what a key part of that squad he was. And actually, Theo said they're growing up watching watching Liverpool at that time and seeing them win so many trophies. That strike force they had around that time was just brilliant, wasn't it? So then boys will be here for a while. Right, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, to, to, that, to be fair, that, that front four that they had at that time, you know, like to have to have Owen Heskey, Fowler and then later Lippmann, and, I mean, it's probably unheard of now to have that many forwards. I think at the time, a lot of teams had, had really good strike forces and a lot of teams had, had good players as backup as well but but that squad Liverpool seems to have a really deep squad then they had a lot of different defenders Carragher played at left back today and Babel at right back um, and they had midfield used to change every week whether it was McAllister Gerrard Mann um, Barnby was there he scored a few goals Smitza Berger was still there and still still playing quite well so they just had options every week and um, I think that's why they, they were so good at it and, and won so many trophies because they 
Pule could re- rotate that team every single week. And I always remember his midfield would, would constantly change. And um, and they had players that with experience as well. You know, when I talk about people like Babel and Haman, they were players that had played at a high level that, that could manage games. And, and it's why they won games like Alaves and Arsenal when they were under the, the League Cup final against Birmingham. And just to touch upon what you were saying before, Cardiff, I thought, was a fantastic stadium. Just thought it was it was great. You know, uh, if anyone was when they had the roof on it, the atmosphere was just incredible. I went to the 2003 uh, League Cup final against United and the atmosphere of that game was just brilliant. And I think it was one of like, the most underrated finals that Liverpool have, have played in because it was a great win um, and against their rivals and the atmosphere was just electric. So... I've been to the new Wembley a few times and I just don't even think it, it, it gets near Cardiff. I thought Cardiff was a great stadium. That final, I remember we got yeah. locked in the stadium. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah. We got, no, I know. I'm saying, and the, you know, obviously, the journalists, we were, I was there writing because I wasn't eight years old. I think it was 2000. You'd have been 10. Yeah, I was 27. 27. And um, in fact, are any of you 27 now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I just remember that we, we obviously finished last, as tends to be the way for local journalists. Anyway, and we had, to, we, had to, we, had to, we had to find a way to get out. We had to basically had to just climb over this big fence to get out. Everyone else had gone. <laughs> We've had some great tales this on on this edition of, of the podcast. Well, to to round things off, though, guys, we mentioned at the top, football is returning this weekend. Not on these shores, though, of course, in the Bundesliga in Germany. So. Just a, a, a quick one in terms of how much everyone's looking forward to seeing the action resuming and which teams are we going to be keeping an eye out for? Theo, I'll start with you. Um, I'm keeping an eye on Hertha Berlin and that's partly because we've done an office sweepstake and that's the team I drew out of it. So obviously got to get behind them, see if I can win it. But they've got Marco Gruic, haven't they? So there's not many Liverpool players we can see in action at the moment. Um, Liverpool fans haven't really seen enough of him since he joined the club, obviously Klopp's first signing. So it'd be nice to actually have a proper look at him, see what he's about and if he could stake a claim to actually be part of the Liverpool squad next season. Um, do you want me to run through a few more? We're going to spread this around a bit because obviously they're the obvious targets in Germany that we're always going to talk about. Well, no, it's just one of those in terms <laughs> of just who everyone's looking out for. I have to say, I, I always take a, a fancy to Borussia Mönchengladbach just because they've got the longest name that is known. <laughs> and yeah, it, it's just funny like that. Doyle, I imagine you're really, really up for this, aren't you? No, I'm supporting whichever team is playing Bayern Munich because I've got absolutely no time for them. Unless they're playing Tottenham and beating them 7-2 or whatever it was. That was good. Yeah, that was very funny. <laughs> uh, I, say, I, I enjoyed oh, that oh, one also. Having, having, yeah, I wonder why. <laughs> having said that about the Bundesliga, it will be interesting just to... It's, you know, let's be perfectly honest here. This is what will happen. For a couple of weeks, people will watch it, and then the minute the Premier League starts to come back, people stop watching it. That's exactly what will happen. Right? <laughs> it's completely exactly what will happen. And I think people are... So in some ways, it will prepare people for what's going to happen in the Premier League in the sense of watching games that really matter, not like friendlies or, okay, international qualifiers that we've seen being behind closed doors. These are going to be games at the top end of a major European league and the bottom as well. They're going to have massive ramifications on the league table, so they're going to absolutely properly matter. And that's what's going to happen when the Premier League's in. So I think it could, in some ways it could prepare supporters for what's to come. So when the Premier League does start and there's nobody there, they won't be taken back as much as perhaps they would have been if it had been straight in with the Premier League. Do you not think it's going to be weird as well, Joe? Maybe even, I don't know, trying to force yourself to enjoy slash watch the action because 
there's been a number of times where the Victory Cup, I think it's called, or whatever, the, the youth team game that Sky used to, to show every year or whatever, you used to sit down and go, yeah, I'm going to watch the next generation of young players. And obviously there was no crowd there, there was no atmosphere. And you thought after 10 minutes, oh, this is a bit naff, I'm turning it off. Do you think we're going to be sat there really focusing and really wanting to watch the football? But of course, it's going to be a very different experience. Yeah, I, th- I think, to be honest, I, th- I, th- I know I certainly am just fascinated for how it will look, how it will... You know whether there'll be all these things. Will players turn away when they when they make a tackle? Will they spit? Will the goalkeepers shout? You know all these sorts of things. I'm just quite fascinated to find out how it will look. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think like Dorothy says, I think people will be really interested for a few days or maybe a couple of weeks, and then that will sort of dry up as as other things start to creep back to normality. But. Um, in terms of teams, I've remembered I got Fortuna Dusseldorf in the sweep. Fortuna Dusseldorf. So I'll be, I'll be supporting them um, for about 10 minutes until they get beaten. And then, yeah, just whoever whoever's on my phone whenever um, I get five minutes away from the family to, to have a little look. But a few toilet breaks and um, <laughs> watching, the, watching the Bundesliga. I think I think they'll be okay because he watched a he watched ten minutes of a Liverpool final with no sound on, so he's used to watching games. No, no I'll get bored. Like um, <laughs> South Korea, they, they returned, didn't they, last week? So I watched the first two minutes of that and thought, "Now nah, I okay, can't be how, watching this." Okay, how many Victory Shield players did you know, guy? How many how many South Korean players do you know, uh, Theo? This is the point. You'll be watching two. the Bundesliga and you'll you'll know a lot of the players. And suddenly it becomes a lot more interesting because you'll know who they are. You'll know what they're supposed to be doing. You know how good they are. And I think that's something that perhaps people are overlooking. It's the fact that it's just the equivalent of watching a game with no sound on is what it is. And, and people do that all the time. People do that all the time. Yeah, like Theo Squires. So, yeah, we, we do know, actually, that people will be able to get used to it. Well, anyway, gentlemen, that wraps us up for this edition of the Blood Red Podcast. Thanks a lot for joining me. Thanks to you as well for joining us. If you've joined us live on YouTube or listening, wherever you do get your audio on demand, keep yourselves safe. And until next time, bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.